Oh. 
After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos and essentially Erev Shavuos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. No matter where you are around the world, getting ready for at least a two-day, if not three-day, yontif. We stand here on this Arab Shabbos Parshas Bamidbar outside of Israel. In Israel, it's uh, a different parsha. Erev Shabbos parshas by Midbar. In Israel, Shavuos starts tomorrow night and ends Sunday night. For us, Shavuos starts tomorrow night and ends Monday night. So welcome to a Friday on this June 10th, the uh, fourth day in the month of Sivan, the year 5776. On this Erev Shabbos parshas by Midbar, candlelighting at 8.06 later on today 806 is candlelighting time many synagogues begin earlier make sure you know when things start where you are shvu is coming up sunday and monday yisker is monday and we're back on the air with jm and the am starting tuesday morning at 6 a.m right here at jm and the am 59 degrees outside pretty chilly 47 percent humidity winds are west at six miles per hour sunny today with a high temperature of 79 then tonight mostly clear a low of 58 Tomorrow, rain. Looks like a rainy Shabbos with a high temperature of 83 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 73. We're at 59 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. You heard Yehuda Green in there with Ma'ashiv. You heard the Alamichia selection, Ari Shvat and company. You heard the Yeshiva Boys with Ma'ashiv. You heard the uh, Jewish holiday songs, including Salenu Al-Ktafenu, which is a great Shavuos hit from yesteryear. And from any year. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's a JM in the AM Friday, Erev Shabbos. Malcolm Holine is scheduled to join us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. 7.40 Eastern Time for the weekly update right here at JM in the AM. You could listen, of course, on the radio or on the app or wherever you wish. And... Um, And that is that. Uh, so Malcolm coming up. We have Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15. 9 o'clock for uh, Naomi Nachman and Table for Two. That happens at jmnam.org and on the video at nachomsegel.com. Um, uh, coming up at 9. And at 10 a.m., Kedem's presentation of the Erev Shabbos music mix, which today, of course, will include, I'm sure, some great Erev Yontav selections as well as we go from uh, Shabbos into the holiday of Shavuos. JM and the AM, more coming up. Keep it here at JM and the AM. Sixth day of Sivan is called Shavuot. Out came the Torah and all of them mitzvot. Down came Hashem and told us what to do. So the sixth day of Sivan is fun for me and you. <laughs> we just had 49 days of Omar, man. Now it's time for holiday of Shavuot. Six day of Sivan is called Shavuot. Out came the Torah and all of them mitzvot. Down came Hashem and told us what to do. So the six day of Sivan is fun for me and you. Down came Hashem and told us what to do. So the sixth day of Siva 
Time to celebrate the day that Hashem gave us the Torah on Har Sinai and all of the sweet mitzvos that we do every day of the year. On Shavuos, we stay up and learn, eat milchik foods, read the story of Rus, and celebrate the gift of the Torah. <laughs> Me 
commits boast that I may do right. The Torah teaches every Jew. Torah, Torah, I love you. Shout! 
Sana kodish borhu esato yiru Tipoir loitzavach oyef loiborach shoyer loigo ifanim loyofu serof loyomru kodosh ayom loinistalza abrihi yoisloi dimeru Ayo, my lady, is 
Nakodish for a who is a toy.
Stop. 
Some nice Torah selections. We'll save this one for the next hour. Michal Przanski with his song entitled Torah. Do our news from Israel coming up in just a moment. Hour number one of JM in the AM is uh, almost complete on this Friday morning Erev Shabbos. We've got the weekly update coming up. And I thank everybody out there for tuning in. Uh, Tuesday is the next day we have a JM in the AM program. That will be Tuesday at 6 a.m. Make sure to join us. For that presentation, Yisrael Werdiger had the Mesikos HaTorah, Ellie Marcus with Kol Torah, C. Landsbaum with Veshavu Vanim, Sixth Day of Sivan done by Schlockrock off of Schlockrock for Kids, Sing Together. That is a great <laughs> Shavuos selection as we get ready for the big holiday starting tomorrow night. Candle lighting on this Erev Shabbos Parshas by Midbar is at 8.06. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Oh, by the way, speaking of the NSN app, I saw a nice Mazel Tov wish on the NSN app. Uh, Mazel Tov going out to uh, Yussel and Sarah Miriam Pitterman on the birth of their Bachar. Mazel Tov to grandparents Shimon and Freddy Schwartz and Chuni and Silky Pitterman. Mazel Tov to great-grandparents, the Grunwald, Schwartzes, Ors, Cutliers, and Lefts. May there always be Simchas and Klai Yisrael. And yes, listener Silky posted that on our app. I thank you for doing that by giving us some great news on this Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM. Galitzal in the background, news from Israel is coming up, and then we'll move into the 7 o'clock hour. Andy Statman is scheduled to join us before the end of this show today. He's got a performance next week. We'll get some pre-Shavuos greetings from Andy coming up. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. נרצחי הפיגוע בתל אביב מובאים למנוחות. מאות בני אדם ליוו בדרכו האחרונה את הסוציולוג, הדוקטור מיכאל פייגה. נוגה אחת משלוש בנותיו של מיכאל ספדה לו. פעם אחת אמר לי שהמטרה הכי גדולה שלו תשב היום, ועל הקבר שלו היה כתוב, פה קבור אדם טוב. ואני חושבת שאם היה יכול לראות כמות האנשים שבאו היום, מה היה יודע איך הוא השיג את המטרה הזא
בבית העלמין ירקון השתתפו מאות במסע ההלוויה של אילנה נווה, בת 39 מתל אביב. שירן, אחת מארבע בנותיה, סיפרה, רציתי שיעירו אותי מהחלום הזוועתי הזה, שארוץ אלייך ואל אבא, כמו אחרי שאני חולמת כל חלום רע, ואבוא לשכב לידכם, ואחבק אותך חזק חזק, אבל זה לא חלום, זה אמיתי. בשעה הזו מתחיל באשקלון טקס ההלוויה של הנרצחת הרביעית בפיגוע מילה מישייב לבקשת משפחתה. המסע אינו מסוכר בתקשורת. מסרו כתבינו איתמר קציר ודור מימון. מפכ"ל המשטרה רוני אלשיך המבקר בהר הבית ביום השישי הראשון של חודש הרמדאן מבקש להרגיע את הציבור לקראת שבת. אין התראות קונקרטיות לפיגועים וככל שיש התראה אז כמובן אי אפשר שלא לחוש בה ואנחנו מצפים מהציבור ליהנות מהחגים לעלות לרגל. מדברי המפכ"ל הביא כתבנו עמוס מוהר. לפני שעה קלה ביקרו כ-20 שגרירים זרים בזירת הפיגוע במתחם שרונה בתל אביב והביעו תמיכה בישראל. בינתיים באו"ם נשמעת ביקורת על החלטת ישראל להטיל סגר על יהודה ושומרון בעקבות הפיגוע. כתבת חדשות החוץ, שירה נאות. נציב האו"ם לזכויות אדם, זייד ראאד אל-חוסיין, אמר כי הסגר שהטילה ישראל בשטחים הוא עונש קולקטיבי שאסור על פי החוק הבינלאומי. בעקבות הטבח בתל אביב מוטל מחצות ועד סוף חג השבועות סגר כללי על יהודה ושומרון והמעברים לרצועת עזה סגורים, למעט מקרים הומניטריים. צה"ל משנה את מעמדם של חללי צוק איתן, הדר גולדין ואורון שאול, בעקבות בקשת הוריהם, ועל מנת להבטיח שיעשו מאמצים להשבתם. במשפחת גולדין מברכים על המהלך, ואילו במשפחת שאול טמאים על ההחלטה לפרסם את הדברים, וטרם הובהרה המשמעות המדויקת של ההגדרה החדשה. כתבנו יהונתן בניה. בהחלטה אתמול נקבע כי הדר גולדין, זיכרונו לברכה, יוגדר מעתה כחלל צה"ל במעמד שבויים ונעדרים, ואורון שאול, זיכרונו לברכה, יוגדר כחלל שמקום קבורתו לא נודע במעמד שבויים ונעדרים. עכשיו שוקדים בצבא על קביעת נוהל מתאים שייגזר מההגדרות החדשות. ולסיום, גם זה קורה היום, טקס פרסי הטלוויזיה נערך בשעה זו בתל אביב. כתבתנו שני בירנבוים מעדכנת כי מאסטר שף הוכתרה כתוכנית הריאליטי הטובה ביותר, ולעוף על המיליון זכה בפרס השעשועון. התחזית לחג, טמפרטורות רגילות לעונה, אלה החדשות שעורכת נעמה שוחט, בצוות מאי אוסי ושגיא גבאי.
J.M. in the A.M. Yosef Chaim with Torah C. Before that, the Machol Brzezanski selection on this essentially Erev Shavuos. I know Erev Shavuos is really tomorrow, but you know what I mean. Going into Shabbos and then into Shavuos on this Erev Shabbos Parshas by Midbar. Candle lighting at 8.06 later on. 59 degrees, sunshine, a high temperature of 79. Clear tonight, low 58, and tomorrow some rain with a high of 83 degrees. Yerushalayim at 73. We're at 59 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at J.M. in the A.M. 
Hey, our one of our one of our favorite baseball people is with us live via telephone with some big news for everybody out there in the uh, community, and that is that on the um, the person is Steve Cohen, who we'll speak to in a moment. He's a vice president of the Brooklyn Cyclones, one of the most successful minor league baseball teams in this country, based on our evaluation. And believe me, the Siegel family knows something about minor league baseball. <laughs> and um, coming up on the 21st of June, the Brooklyn Cyclones have announced that on the 21st of June, it will be, in fact, a Jewish Heritage Night, a Jewish Heritage Night taking place that night. And everyone is encouraged to come on out to enjoy the game, be part of the action, show some Jewish pride, and uh, have a good time at MCU Park in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Steve Cohen is the Vice President of the Brooklyn Cyclones with us live via telephone. Steve, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you for having me. And uh, I, I now dub you the most intelligent person on minor league baseball in, in the country. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, the Siegel family over the last few weeks has spent a lot of time in a lot of minor league parks. It is amazing to me how it seems that some minor league teams get it right and are able to attract a big crowd and really make an impact in the community and do great with the promotions. And I could cite a whole bunch of them, including yours. And others are sitting in desolate stadiums for most of the season. Any rhyme or reason to this, or is it just a bunch of luck? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can only speak for ourselves, obviously. But, I mean, I think we do a great job with the uh, promotions and keeping the pricing affordable. And, uh, you know, nobody can overlook the, the great... Um, Support of the Brooklyn community, which has you know, loved baseball for uh, for a hundred years now. I got that, but I'll tell you, you know, there are some uh, major professional sports teams in the area, and there's a lot of entertainment in the area. After all, it is New York, and everyone's just a subway ride away from you know a million different things to do. And yet, you're still able to attract a a major crowd and a very enthusiastic crowd. And for many years already, I mean, this is going on for a long time. Right, right. We're actually heading into our 16th season, wow. and uh, you're right. It's it's amazing um, considering the amount of entertainment in Brooklyn now. I think every neighborhood neighborhood has some sort of uh, free concert, pop up movie, or or event going on no. every night of the week during the summer. So uh, we're fortunate. We're we're very lucky. We have great fans, and, and hopefully we'll have support on June 21st as well, and it looks like we do. Yeah, June 21st, Jewish Heritage Night at uh, MCU Park as the Cyclones are going to be in action that evening. Now, tell everybody how it works. Uh, tell everybody how they get tickets, uh, group sales, uh, what you plan on doing that night, special for the Jewish community. What's it all about on the 21st? Yeah, we have a lot of great stuff going on. First of all, um, the entire season, every Tuesday night now, um, and that, that 21st is a Tuesday, will be uh, post-game fireworks. Um, and we did that um, based on just hearing feedback from the Jewish community. Obviously, um, we have fireworks on Friday and Saturdays for the last uh, 15 years, basically, and that's not the best night of the week for uh, <laughs> for the community. So um, we've added a Tuesday night fireworks shows, so we hope everybody comes out all season long for that. And then on the 21st, oh, we have entertainment. We have uh, the Klesmer Klesmer Connection playing. Uh, we have a local yeshiva with uh, their their kids choir coming out to entertain the fans, um, and we, we're going to be doing a uh, a Jewish food cook off um, during the game. So if anyone's interested in participating in that, they could call our office um, or go to info at brooklyncyclones.com and let us know. So anything from chicken soup to brisket, um, 
we're going to judge on the best recipe and the best uh, the best food um, <laughs> and give out prizes for that. Uh, so I'm looking pe- forward to having a, a good fun night again. Are people actually going to be cooking those at the stadium? No, no, actually they'll cook that at home and then bring it in and we'll keep it warm for them and then uh, our, our group of uh, professional eaters will, will judge um, judge that. So uh, anybody who's out there that thinks they could cook a, a mean uh, a mean meal, give us a call and we'll get you signed up. Yeah, well I'm sure the people in this audience who know they can. Steve Cohen is with us, uh, Vice President of the Brooklyn Cyclones. The Klezmer Connection, that's exciting. you got to let us know which yeshiva it is that's going to be there that night because that's intriguing to me. As well, that's really cool that they're going to be invited to entertain the crowd that night. And a Jewish food cook-off, as you heard. It's all happening at the Brooklyn Cyclones Jewish Heritage Night, the 21st of June. Info at brooklyncyclones.com for information about the Jewish food cook-off. Again, it's info at brooklyncyclones.com. And, uh, what is great? We have a great deal online um, if you use the code JCRC. Um, which is going to be a fundraiser for the JCRC as well. It's uh, 20 bucks. You get a field box seat, a uh, voucher for a hot dog, kosher hot dog, and soft drink. Uh, a gr- uh, one of our group hats as well. So it's a it's an incredible package. Um, valued, you know, I think it's about a forty forty six dollar package for twenty bucks. All right, that entire thing is twenty dollars. The uh, the gift, the hot dog, the uh, the drink, and the field box level seat. Correct. $20, everybody. Go to brooklyncyclones.com. What do you do? You just check out for that night for the 21st with the tickets online and just put in the code JCRC? Exactly. Just make sure you use that code um, online or if you call um, our our box office, just use that code and it, you'll get everything that's included there. What if someone wants to speak to your staff about group rates for that night, bringing a whole bunch of people? Yeah, if you want a group of over 15 or more to get a discounted ticket or, um, and, and a group gift as well, they could give us a call um, at um, 718-37-DKLYN. And one of our, ask for Peter, actually. If Peter will give you a hand and, uh, and help book your nights um, as well. All right. Uh, that's, uh, that's 718-37-BKLYN for Brooklyn. 718-37-BKLYN. Ask for Peter about uh, group rates uh, for that night. What is What is your usual kosher food availability is uh, is every non-shabbos game essentially have some kosher food available no absolutely absolutely we have a stand every night that that's uh up and running and uh i think they do a great job um they're there um like you said every non-shabbos night so uh or and obviously except for in any major the holidays during the summer um so come on out and, and enjoy the food and, and a great night. You know, you know how beautiful Coney Island is in the summertime. The, the, um, just the view, view, just the view from any seat in that stadium is worth the price of admission. Forget about the fact that you get to watch a great bowl game and you know and see some uh, phenomenal action. But the, it, yes. is, it is just a remarkable place to watch a game, especially as you say, on a summer <laughs> evening. Um, and I just wanted before we break, um, I just wanted to mention one thing. Uh, I know it's uh, a little early, but we are. Have to, we do have tickets available online as well for the uh, the World Baseball Classic that we're hosting in September, which is going to feature uh, Team Israel playing games. Uh, we know specifically, we know that they'll be playing on the 22nd and 23rd. Uh, so we'd really love to have the community come out and support Team Israel in that event. All right, that's the 22nd of Thursday, right? Uh, the 22nd Thursday uh, in the evening, and then on Friday at the noon game. All right, so it's February, uh, February, September the 22nd, World Baseball Classic featuring Israel at MCU Park. 
at September the 22nd. People can uh, start getting ready for that. It's going to be a lot of fun as well on that Thursday night. How, how, do, how do we look for this year, Steve? I mean, the season starts next week, if I'm not mistaken, right? It starts next Friday, right? How do we look? Um, Is it, are the Cyclones going to be uh, the top team in the league or not? I think so. You know, it's always tough to tell this early because um, a lot of the players that we have will come from the draft, which just started last night. Uh, the Mets just got uh, took two guys in the first round, pitchers, actually local kids, one from Nassau County, one from Suffolk County. So wow. we're really, um, we're, well, we're hoping, we don't know for sure that we get those guys at some point during the season. And, uh, you know, we've been competitive every year except for one, which was last year, but you know, the team changes every year, and uh, I think uh, with our coaching staff and the guys that are that played down in Kingsport last year, I think we're going to have a good team. All right, we look forward to it. Brooklyn's rooting for you, as is the entire community, and a big thank you to you and the entire staff of the Cyclones for putting together Jewish Heritage Night 21st of June. We'll continue to remind the listeners how to get those tickets and how to come and enjoy a great Jewish Heritage Night. Steve, thank you so much. We'll speak again soon. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Steve Cohen is the uh, vice president of the Brooklyn Cyclones. You heard what he had to say. The Klezmer Connection, a yeshiva choir, a Jewish food cook-off. A whole bunch of stuff's going to be happening the night of the 21st of June, plus fireworks after the game for Jewish Heritage Night. Info at brooklyncyclones.com. You can also speak with Peter at 718-37-BROOKLYN, 718-37-BKLYN. Speak with Peter about group rates for that night. And if you go online to order tickets for the 21st of June, all you got to do is put in the code JCRC and that entire package is available to you for just 20 bucks if you put in the code JCRC uh, on the Brooklyn Cyclones website. Very cool, very exciting. We hope to be there the night of the 21st of June enjoying a great night with the Cyclones and we appreciate them recognizing the community and the potential of the community to come out Enjoy a great game and support a great team. 25 minutes after 7 o'clock. More coming up. It's a Friday era of Shabbos. This is JM in the AM.
Santo y 
Brand new Ofi Nat just released a single in honor of Shuas. Kimitzion is the name of it. Avram Freed, brand new Avremo with Itcha Ani. Bring the House Down is the name of the brand new CD. Avram Freed here at JM and the AM. 22 minutes before 8 o'clock. Good morning. On a JM and the AM Friday, Erev Shabbos, Erev Shavuos. A couple of days of Yuntif coming up outside of Israel, both Sunday and Monday. Yisker is set on Monday. Keep that in mind. Obviously, in Israel, it's set on Sunday. One day. Candle lighting at 8.06 on this Erev Shabbos Parshas by Midbar. <clears throat> outside of Israel, it is Parshas by Midbar. 8.06 candle lighting. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start. Where you are coming up later on today on uh, jmandtheam.org on our amazing stream. You can catch all of our wonderful Friday programming right after 9 o'clock. Table for Two will feature Naomi Nachman speaking with Miriam Pascal of OvertimeCook.com and SD Wolby from the Facebook group I Don't Cook, But I Give Out Recipes. They're both going to be Naomi's guests on Table for Two coming up starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. You'll be able to see the whole thing on our homepage. At NachumSiegel.com. The Erev Shabbos Music Mix, brought to you by our friends at Kedem, have uh, songs for Erev Shabbos, Erev Shavuos, and much, much more. And our next JM in the AM program will be on Tuesday morning. We'll kick things off again Tuesday morning, starting at 6 a.m., uh, back to a quote-unquote <clears throat> regular schedule, starting on Tuesday, the morning after Yom Tov. So keep that in mind. If you're in Israel and expecting a show on Monday, we apologize. Believe you me, we apologize. <laughs> Once Jam and the AM gets to Israel, hopefully we'll be able to provide a show on the second day on Tif. But right now we are going to uh, return with Jam and the AM on, uh, on Tuesday morning starting at 6 a.m. Malcolm Holmline is going to join us coming up. Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's got a, a weekly update for us, and we will be uh, presenting that to you here at JM and the AM coming up in um, just a couple of minutes. Yeah, we're just a couple of minutes away. Lots of news this week, of course. A lot of things to analyze, to discuss, to talk about and think about. And we'll do all of that for you uh, coming up here at JM in the AM. Uh, meanwhile, we continue with more music at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, and of course on the NSN app. <laughs>
This era of Shabbos, holiday of Shavu is coming up. Rabbi Yudin will address all of that about 8.15 this morning here at JMNA. Ari Goldwag with Curry Bone on this era of Shabbos, Parshas by Midbar. Candle lighting at 8.06. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Big shout out to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com, where again, you can print out a million articles, or close to a million, before a three-day untiff and have plenty of reading material. To keep you going, interesting things about what's happening in this world of ours, go to jewishworldreview.com for all the information on that. <coughs> want to thank our friends at onlysimchas.com who continue to include us in their and our content in their news feed that has become a big hit in addition to their Simcha news. It's always been a big hit, so a big thank you to onlysimchas.com from all of us here at JM and the AM. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update Fridays at this time here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, good Friday morning before a great Shabbos and Yantif weekend. Yeah, that's for sure. Long Shabbos and Yantif weekend. Uh, let's start with the good, then we'll get to uh, some of the more challenging things. Let us uh, together... Uh, thank and acknowledge and uh, praise the tens of thousands of people that did come out in rainy conditions this past Sunday to show their support and declare their love and celebrating Israel. Uh, we don't take this lightly, Malcolm. You know, the larger percentage, unfortunately, of our community does not understand the importance of coming out to events like that, like the Celebrate Israel Parade. So those who did show up, and especially in the weather conditions that were happening on Sunday, uh, we say kudos to them and to all of us who found ourselves on Fifth Avenue. Well, first of all, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think that the sense of satisfaction that people had, it's its one thing when it's a beautiful Sunday day and sunny day and people 
go out for a stroll on Fifth Avenue and watch the beautiful floats and marching groups. It's another thing when people come out and show real dedication and real commitment when the weather is inclement and to see them uh, marching uh, in with the umbrellas at first and then it turned beautiful and everybody had a good time who came out. But I think that they can uh, feel a far greater sense of accomplishment and of commitment. And you think about what Israelis went through this week, what, what they go through all the time to make sure that Israel remains safe and is there for us in good weather, bad weather, under dire conditions and under great conditions. Yeah, no question about it. Let's talk about this terrorist attack that claimed the lives of four of our brethren this week in Tel Aviv, uh, in a in a in an area that uh, that has at at times in the last few months been in the headlines when it comes to stabbings and terror attacks, but always seems to be uh, uh, even more of a shock when it happens in in Tel Aviv. Why that is, maybe we could discuss later on. Um, first of all, ad- address the confusion that the media seem to have had about who these people were, whether they were real terrorists or not. Uh, I, I don't know if you if you um, uh, came across this in the after in the immediate aftermath of the initial reports, but uh, I had heard or or read somewhere that that the terrorists were actually dressed as Orthodox Jews, as Haredi Jews, and that and that gave me you know pause to think why it might confuse some media sources. But in reality, we see that they were just dressed as regular businessmen. They were dressed. Uh uh, nicely and in dark suits. So I think people initially uh, may have mistaken that, uh, but uh, the, the rest of their uh, appearance was that they looked like uh, European businessmen or, or uh, Israeli businessmen even. And I think that the point you're, you're referring to is not because of the dress. It is because of the unwillingness of much of the media and Fox was an exception at the beginning, but most of the others, CNN, others, refused to call it a terrorist attack, and there's some who still don't call it a terrorist attack. And it, it's, it, this is not the first time it's happened, but here it was such a clear um, case of culpability and of the identification, and they still could not get themselves. Some corrected it a little later and, and uh, at least found the, the voice to say something about what, what kind of act this is. I mean, you can be sure, and of course we've already begun to see, that the react, any reaction to it will be criticized and that Israel will be taken to task in very harsh terminology about collective punishment and um, other uh, terms that are being used against Israel. So I think this is part of a pattern we've seen in the media and that generally, uh, most of the media, I would say, where they, you know, even even the resorting to the term militant and refusal to say that they're terrorists when they engage in acts in the case of Israel and in other cases, if you can't name it, you can't deal with it. And the failure to address this and say it's terrorism, clear and simple, and hold everybody to account for it means that we will fail in the response. Most are familiar with the episode already, but essentially the, the two of them are sitting there at a table like at any other cafe or restaurant and at some point just get up and start shooting, right? That's essentially the nature of the attack. Right. And then the question is, you know, the, the, the village they came from is known uh, as one where there is some radical activity. They, um, the question is, who, did anybody aid and abet them? It doesn't take a lot of money. People ask me, the media keeps asking me, wow, who paid for it? And I told him, you know, it doesn't take a lot of money to guy buy two guys' suits. 
and send them off and to, give it, give them restaurant weapons. where they right. they just ordered a brownie and then they stood up and started shooting people and there is indoctrination going on all the time and it, it stems first and foremost from the Palestinian Authority itself which continues to pay uh, a stipend to any terrorist who kills Jews and the more Jews you kill the more your stipend that and or their survivors get it they pay, I think, double what a Palestinian policeman makes. They pay double to, to a, a killer in, in an Israeli jail. The messages through the media, through the, uh, the mosques, through every uh, possible source, including in the schools, and Abbas keeps paying lip service to, to Western sources, and they all tell us, including I met a foreign minister from, from Europe yesterday, and, you know, oh, we're fighting it, we're telling them all the time, we're telling them. So I said, so cut off the funding. If he doesn't do it, cut off the funding. And he said, well, we can't do that. We can't do it. And, I mean, there are reasons, uh, of course, that one could give, and there are even legitimate reasons. But there's never a consequence. And the PA yesterday's statement said it all. Abbas did not, even though he was under a lot of pressure to issue a statement, it came from the office of the president, not from him. And it said, you know, it said we're against, we continue to be against, this is a paraphrase, you know, terrorist attacks, et cetera, or attacks on civilians, uh, despite the, the justification. Well, once you start saying there's a justification, or implying that there's a justification, it's just that this is, a, you know, not a nice way to do it, is, is already a defeat for the whole purpose. Yeah. Uh, and yet he's not held to account for it. Yeah. People were praising, oh, you see, Abbas came out with a statement. No, he did not. His office issued a statement, and the statement was not a good one. The posters recognizing these two animals as uh, martyrs that we see on social media, those are real, right? Those are not... Those, yes, of course. Yeah, the, the, well, I'm exactly just, right. I'm trying to make the point that you know, in, in, it, this is not just you know, uh, being photoshopped and sent around the world via the Internet. These are being hung up in Palestinian neighborhoods, so to speak, and they're being heralded as heroes. And in addition to that, of course, major celebrations break out in certain areas when uh, when these terrorists are quote-unquote successful in their mission uh frankly by the nature of the attack it's a miracle more people weren't killed and um you start to wonder if it's the, if it's and you know I, I don't even want to go there and say it but if it's this simple for them to carry out an attack like that you know what one one wonders whether we're in for another you know um another run of uh, of similar terror attacks in major cities in Israel. Uh, it's well, hard. That is to, it's a concern that, and, and uh, we spoke to people in the police and elsewhere, because that is always a concern that you see a new phase being initiated. We saw it with the knife uh, fada, as they called it, knife attacks. Um, and the, the, um, uh, each, each time it invites others to copycat, and that's why sometimes the glorification of these things makes it even more of an incentive to young people or others to come in. And you remember they were related. And the last case we had of a, of a killing, I think, or one of the recent cases was also two cousins who, who engage in it, which means that they indoctrinate and they incite each other as well. And it's the environment in which they're in that feeds it. One of the most unbelievable twists to this story is that the, one of the terrorists actually ended up in in the home of an Israeli. Um, I mean, I'm sure many people have seen it already, but the uh, he, he ends up asking for a drink, being invited in, and then and then when this cop goes to the scene of the crime, realizes the person in his house is actually one of the terrorists, which is 
quite unbelievable, to say the least, and another miracle that more people weren't harmed. Um, it's just, uh, it, you know, and and then there's this unbelievable, and, and it's amazing, I wish I could analyze and decipher which attacks get this type of reaction, I'll tell you what I mean in a moment, and which get other types. I mean, there it is so often that, you know, things are cleaned up, so to speak, put away, and we're on to the next thing a few minutes later. In this case, government officials, uh, prominent people, uh, you know, made made statements by actually going to this cafe the next day and showing solidarity and, and defiance. And it's interesting. Do you sometimes think why certain episodes, why certain terror attacks get that type of reaction while others do not get the camaraderie afterward that uh, that we saw this week? No, because the penetration of, of Tel Aviv was seen as a different or an escalation, and after a period of relative quiet, it, it stood out even more. And as you said, the, the people saw the potential for a much greater event. And, it, you know, this site is right across from the Kiryah, where the Ministry of Defense uh, sits. So it... it um, you know, it's it's seen as a more blatant act, but you know, there's often a reaction that doesn't get the coverage that this necessarily got it. But people do go and do often uh, show up in large numbers, and even at the funerals, which are are often not not covered as well. Sometimes because the families don't want it, but you can have an attendance of thousands of people. Uh, official Israeli reaction: You mentioned that the town that they're from is on lockdown at the moment. And is there anything else that's being done in quote-unquote retaliation? Yes, because this is Ramadan, and the the permits of 83,000 people uh, who are are actually given it to the purpose of going to pray at Al-Aqsa on the Temple Mount, uh, those have been canceled for now. All right, and uh, do you think there'll be any type of uh, military action, Air Force action? Well, the the police and, and others raided the village right away, I guess looking for was also they were looking for the third uh, party and who was captured, uh, as you noted. So uh, I think that uh, if you look at the words of Defense Minister Lieberman and of the Prime Minister, it, this there will be more actions. But you know they're, they're demanding that the international community, which met in Paris last week. And, of course, the focus is always what pressure can be brought to bear in Israel because there's so little they can do on the Palestinians, they say. Even though the Europeans are giving them $450 million to Hamas and, um, you know, for UN, supposedly for UN expenditures in Gaza, but most of it ends up in, in uh, Hamas's hands. Uh, the U.S. gives $350 million. So there has to be a, a, a price now. Hamas is having a problem paying salaries, so there is a lot of leverage uh, that you can bring to bear. They're spending perhaps $100 million a month on tunnels, uh, but they and, and trying to build them all the time, uh, but they don't spend on people's housing and others, and, and everybody's saying, oh, you've got to do more for the people. People, when, in fact, the stuff Israel lets in, the, the, the thousand trucks a day, all of the construction equipment, ends up being used to build tunnels, and, and they acknowledge Israel caught now two guys who are the tunnel builders uh, who came across the border, young people, I think 17, 18 years old. But they tell about the investment, and, and people in Gaza have been complaining, even giving interviews without their names to Western sources, telling how they hear the rumble of trucks all night going to, to these sites where they're uh, 
uh, digging and building uh, uh, tunnels. So, uh, and they did some rocket launches uh, today in Gaza, testing longer and longer range um, uh, missiles. So they're acting uh, all the time in in blatant and obvious ways, and yet the reaction is is so limited, and and the condemnation continues. You know, when we went uh, again at this meeting with the foreign minister. I mean, we learned much more over the week, and we raised with him that they voted for the World Health Organization condemnation of Israel. The only country, and you all know Israel's record of treating uh, Syrians, thousands of Syrians, treating people from Gaza, treating now Abbas's brother and Hania's nephew are all in hospitals in Israel while they did it. And it turns out that they doctored the whole thing. The pictures, they show the Palestinian child supposedly being attacked by settlers and with the police, Israeli occupation forces watching, and it turned out that it was the removal of settlers that's what the picture was. <clears throat> and they took pictures from the Syrian war and doctored them. This is in the World Health Organization report against Israel. And the facts are wrong. The whole thing was doctored, and they are beginning to admit now that it was a mistake, and they shouldn't have put it out the way it was, and the, you know people didn't read it, and we didn't write it, and we didn't know it was writing. A complete fraud. And yet, here's the money from the U.N. is going into it. The condemnation is public. You can't retract it once you, once you put it out. And the same thing with so many of the other uh, UN agencies, and the and the report that we saw from the International Atomic Energy Agency that came out finally this past weekend, where there's no documentation with it, all the details that are supposed to be given about the, you know the amount of rich uranium, all of the other technical information, it's less information than we got from before the deal, <laughs> and and the, the uh, information that came out that. United States, which we talked about a couple of months ago when it came out, that they gave $1.7 billion. Uh, that money, as it turns out from an examination of the Iranian budget this week, where they list it, went to the Defense Department, which means to the uh, Iran Revolutionary Guard. The IRGC got the money. And for all of their illegal uh, activities, and, and the United States released seven Iranians for who were arrested for illicit activities, 14 who were being pursued, everything dropped. You know, it was seen as a diplomatic victory. And now we're told the money went for old weapons deals that they made with the Shah. So the deal was $400 million 36 years ago, and $1.3 billion is interest on that $400 million. Wow. And, and the real key, Nahum, is something I saw that got almost no coverage this week, that the in the same examination of the budget... The defense budget for Iran in 2017 is 19 billion dollars. It's a 90 percent increase over 2016. If that doesn't speak for itself, tell you what their intentions is. The Qasem Soleimani, who we've talked many times, the head of the Quds forces of the IRGC, but the key guy in the Iranian military adventurism in Syria, etc. He's listed now as an official advisor to the Iraqi government and the foreign minister of Iraq, uh, Jafari. Uh, said that he's an advisor, and he said we also have Americans and Europeans that we pay for, you know, who, who are uh, advising the government. When we know that his purpose is to assure Iranian control, that they do claim control of Baghdad, and they they uh, use money to deploy Shiite militias, who are even more vicious than some of the other groups that, that deal with there, but whose purpose is to assure that 
Iran's government will be uh, Shiite and will be sympathetic to Iran, and Iran will be able to sustain uh, uh, control over it. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM Dial Broadcasting Live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm Holmline is with us, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. What do you think of the move by uh, Andrew Cuomo, the Governor of New York, this week in regard to BDS? Well, having been involved in it from its inception, I think it's a great thing. It's an important message. Uh, yesterday, the, uh, my office is happening in the same building as the governor, and there was a big demonstration against the governor uh, by the Students for Justice and Code Pink and all sorts of other groups, but there were hundreds of people who were protesting, and I want to see and I hope to hear that your listeners and our community as a whole and all of those who care about Israel are letting the governor know how much they appreciate uh, this action, which is a counter to BDS. And it's, it, there are 20 states that have adopted or are in the process of adopting legislation and about a dozen more that are preparing it. But his is the first executive order by a governor because he got tired of waiting for the legislature to act, and I hope that they will. And many, a number of members of the Assembly and the City Council and others were there. Uh, and and the Senate, uh, state Senate, uh, he he uh, spoke actually very strongly. He gets it. It's not just something he did pro forma. Uh, and I think it's it is an important statement because by by letting them know that if you, as he said, if you participate in the boycott, you don't do business in New York with New York State. Right. It is a message, and I'm sure it's going to be tested in all sorts of threats by civil liberties groups, uh, several civil liberties uh, groups, that this is a, 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 it's an abuse of freedom of speech, etc. It doesn't say you can't say anything. It says that you can't act in an illegal way. We have anti-boycott laws, Arab anti-boycott laws, that are on the books for many years. So that's protected, uh, and it's different. Nobody, he didn't say you can't criticize Israel. He said if you boycott Israel, and they even said if you promote a boycott, that was added later, may not uh, be sustained, but to, to have legislation and to, or, and to have an executive order is a very important statement. The, uh, the Prime Minister of Israel was actually in touch with him afterwards, which I thought he was... He sent him a letter and he thanked him for it. And uh, uh, was, he, they have developed a relationship. And the governor, especially since his trip to Israel when he stood in the tunnels during the Gaza War, uh, uh, he has been very uh, outspoken about it, and he, as he was uh, Sunday in making the announcement. Um, speaking of the Prime Minister, who we just mentioned, uh, he met this week with Russian President Putin in Moscow. What could you tell us about that visit? Well, you know, this is the 25th anniversary of the reestablishment of relations between Israel after the collapse of the FSU, etc. Uh, and um, Look, there's a heavy agenda between Israel and Russia. People try to say, well, this is Russia filling the void, which it is doing in the Middle East, as the U.S. and the West appear to be retracting. They're stepping in everywhere they can. Even though they have very limited resources and capacity, they they are able to, to do this um, in spreading their, their influence and their role, as they did in Syria, they've now become a critical player, even though their investment is a fraction of what the United States and the West is, and military and otherwise. So he, 
Syria clearly was a major issue, and to maintain the coordination, which has worked out well, we haven't seen any incidents between Israeli and uh, Russian forces as Israel needs to respond periodically to the movement of weapons, uh, to Hezbollah, more sophisticated weapons, the, uh, and the security issues. Um, but they made clear, um, uh, the Prime Minister made clear that the U.S. is still the cornerstone uh, relationship uh, for Israel and will remain so. Uh, Russia can be very important in controlling attacks that might hit Israel from the north, meaning through Hezbollah, Iran, etc., those that they are working with. Uh, and, you know, they, the supply of the S-300 sophisticated anti-aircraft missile system to, to Iran I think those were key issues in in the discussions between them and about the uh, security of Israel in terms of the Syrian border. What kind of what kind of influence? Because Netanyahu made a point of that this week, um, emphasizing how he wouldn't allow Syria to uh, in any way infiltrate or sponsor any other group to infiltrate up north. Uh, does Russia have a role in any of that or control over that situation? They have influence, and and it is because you know the movement of troops and the where Russia uh, exercised influence over Hezbollah activities because of their association with Iran, because they're fighting side by side with them, and in, in, and the effort, joint effort to keep Assad in power, um, gives them uh, some influence. And I think you know the, the northern border has been getting more and more attention. There's a whole new system of the border protection to prevent Hezbollah or any of the other groups that are there. You know, there are about five, six groups, al-Nusra, al-Qaeda, others, Muslim Brotherhood, who are, are near uh, the border. So they have literally carved out new cliffs in the mountains. Hmm. They have uh, uh, put up um, more and more... Uh, it's not a fence. It's much stronger than a fence. And even near... In Matula, for instance, where you have a 20-foot-high fence, they are reinforcing it, and it's about a 60-mile border from the sea to the, the mountains, as they say, to getting to the Golan, and uh, that's from the Roshan Nikra, essentially. So this is expected to cost about a billion shekels uh, when it's done. It involves civilian engineering and and military, and it's very hard because when you have a mountainous region to put up a, a fence is, is a engineering feat, not a construction uh, job, mm. but they're also doing other things. I mean, literally lobbing off sections in the mountains so you make unpassable cliffs so they can't enter, and they cleared some forests so that you could take away the areas where the uh, terrorists can hide. So it's a huge investment, and we know the Lebanese Army has put up these very high watchtowers so they can keep, they, they can watch what troop movements there are on the Israeli side. Uh, I'm sure that the uh, that might become a very necessary target at some point. And and, and does this also help in uh, in keeping an eye on where missiles and rockets might be stored and and where they may be launched from? The system Israel's putting in place it does have some uh, also some high watchtowers and and uh, points, but Israel uses drones and uses other means to monitor uh, those. Not not the uh, watchtowers are the Lebanese army. Actually, not even Hezbollah. Right. Uh, who's built them. That war up north was 10 years ago, summer of 06. Uh, it sounds like, uh, just based on technology of the last 10 years and where we've gotten to and some of the things we saw back in 2014, that th- an attack like that, God forbid, the northern part of Israel would be responded to in a much different fashion by Israel than it was back then. 
because you have one major change, uh, and that is that, that the government of Lebanon today, as opposed to then, is not a civilian government. It is a Hamas It is a Hezbollah government. And therefore, they, they did not want to strike at infrastructure and things because they said that Hamas was a terrorist group operating in certain areas, and you don't do punishment to the rest. Now, they are part of the government and, and working with the army, so I think the, the, some of the restrictions would be removed. But they have rebuilt all of the infrastructure, and we know that they are constantly moving missiles, and they have 150,000 missiles now in, in Lebanon. And uh, hopefully some of them deteriorate over time and they have to keep the spare parts. But there's a constant flow from Iran to Hezbollah, despite their financial situation and inability to pay. But the, and, and their troops have been diminished by the conflict in Syria, where they have taken a pretty heavy toll among some of their officers. Um, and they're also fighting in, on the Lebanese border against the ISIS encroachments which ties some of them down. Well, not, but not, today, the Lebanese army and, and Hezbollah are, are working in tandem. Yeah, understood. Not to minimize that the relationship, but I think and what I'm alluding to, of course, is uh, the sophistication of Iron Dome and more missile defense systems that uh, Israel either did not have at their disposal or were not as sophisticated 10 years ago. When you have the, the number of uh, missiles and you have increased guidance systems, uh, they pose a threat no matter what. It is true, and, but remember how expensive it is to launch and how, you know, this is, a, as I said, a 60-mile border where you can launch, and they're supposedly developing even the capacity to launch by sea, which is, has been reported, though I don't know if it's been actually uh, completely documented. Um, so the uh, Iron Dome and David Sling, all those are critical. And Israel needs more and more because they've got to be prepared for Hamas and Hezbollah simultaneously. Right. And if, um, and if we remember... And, and those, that, that's a, a big area to cover. Yeah, and if we remember what happened up north, as you just reminded me, uh, they were not shooting one missile at a time. Right. So it's much more of a challenge. By the way, back to the Tel Aviv um, terror attack for a moment. And I know that there's no answer to this, but you give me an opportunity to uh, voice my frustration in light of these things. Uh, maybe maybe it's not the right time for the mayor of Tel Aviv and certain other members of government to start their own analysis regarding why uh, these terror attacks are taking place, especially if you're going to suggest that it's the quote-unquote Israeli occupation that's causing it? Well, that was very unfortunate, the mayor of Tel Aviv's uh, remarks. I'm sure he regrets uh, saying at least I hope he does. It was very damaging, and it's been criticized uh, pretty roundly. By the way, we should note that Saudi Arabia... Yeah. did criticize the... So uh, and, and, they condemned and, the attack, right. Uh, which I think is the first time, and supposedly some other Arab countries, but the Saudi one got a, a lot of attention. And, you know, the Saudis are building up this Islamic coalition against Iran, and supposedly against terrorism, and uh, trying to line up the, the Shiite countries uh, against the expanding confrontation that they're having. But it's not just there, and it's not just in the Middle East as a... Uh, as a whole, it's in Africa, it's in Asia and Latin America. I met African leaders this week. The first thing they raised is Iran, 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 Iran mm -hmm. support for terrorist organizations, Iran's encroachments, and Iran's activities. Uh, and uh, you remember the Arab League states uh, have been pushing to cut diplomatic ties with Iran. Sudan did, others did, uh, Djibouti and Somalia and some of the others uh well, I'm glad you mentioned the Saudi Arabian condemnation. I was wondering if it was the first time ever, and you think it was, which is really even more significant than I thought. Um, 
a couple of things. The the uh, I read this. Uh, you posted this article that I read about uh, uh, certain um, uh, members of the Congress here who want to try to impose more sanctions on Iran. Now, earlier in this conversation, you described to what degree Iran is, or or what degree we are suspecting they are following the uh, the the agreement, the uh, nuclear Iran nuclear deal. Uh, not to the degree that they're supposed to. Is it realistic that more sanctions could, in fact, go through Congress at this time and uh, and have a greater effect on the situation? I do think it's possible. Senator Cardin, who's the lead Democrat on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, certainly the Republicans uh, are looking for ways to to impose additional sanctions. The you know, unfortunately, everybody's focused so much on the election or their re-elections in Congress, and uh, they're not really dealing sufficiently, I think, with the substantive issues, but uh, I think the the report that I mentioned, uh, some of the other revelations that keep coming out about Iran's activities ar- around the world, not just in the Middle East, but particularly there as well, uh, I think underscores the, the motivation and, and um, commitment of some of the members to uh, find additional sanctions. Uh, to be placed on on it, and to try and stop this this uh, pressure that the U.S. is applying on European businesses to do business, because American banks can't, but European banks can, and they don't want to. And you've seen the pieces by Stuart Levy, who was the architect as uh, under Secretary of the Treasury of the uh, sanctions regime, uh, coming out and saying, "This is you can't ask banks to do this because it's Iran's whole banking system is infected. It is a, a money laundering." Uh, system. It's 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 uh, rife with corruption and, and illegal activities. And they said HSBC and Standard and others, the major banks said, we're not going to do business with Iran. Right. And the, the, I think that members are looking at this and find, and Secretary Kerry and others have encouraged them because the Iranians are complaining that they're not getting the benefits. Well, we're not getting the benefits that we were supposed to get from this deal. Iran is acting with much more aggression. Khamenei himself gave a speech now talking about uh, uh, that they were attacking the United States, saying there will be no cooperation with the United States, and he talked about the three great Satans, uh, United States, then Britain, and then Israel. And his answer is very clear. I mean, there's no confusing the message that he was he, he explicitly sends, and yet we continue to, to act as if, you know, he's still a partner, and he's still somebody that we can do business with, and that and the other countries, and I heard these again this week, and as I hear almost every week when I meet uh, leaders coming from abroad, that that um, that the message they're getting is this lack of resolve and the and the the fact that Iran can get away with virtually everything that it does. Oh yes, you made a point this week to condemn the uh, ISIS murder of 19 captive Yazidi young women. Uh, tell us the background of this uh, episode, and is it, uh, in fact, a case of real ethnic cleansing? It's a, it's a case of genocide, uh, and on a smaller scale, but it's a genocide nonetheless where they're trying to eliminate uh, the Yazidi people and other minorities, and they are constantly persecuting and uh, uh, murdering people, but they they don't hide it. They advertise it. Here were 19 women who refused to submit themselves to be sex slaves to to uh, Yazidi to to uh, ISIS troops, and they burnt them alive in a cage. And I think that we have a moral responsibility. We work with the Yazidis 
they they um, you know th- this is an offshoot. Uh, they call them a cult, a sect, whatever, uh, and they don't recognize them as legitimate Muslims, and they have enslaved them now for several years. Had the West acted quickly, they could have freed them. The, the Kurds, actually, the Pashmerga, did go in and, and uh, free some of them. But here you have thousands of women who are being sold into slavery all over the Middle East who are being held uh, as and young women, I mean children even, teenagers included uh, for the, the service of the troops. And they find all sorts of religious justifications within, within Islam to, to do it, and their religious leaders uh, approve it. And I just think we cannot be silent in the face of it. This is where in Iraq? This is in. This was in Iraq. Yes, this this particular incident. But it's in Syria all the time, and it's elsewhere. But this, yes, in Iraq. And the United Nations says things about this or not? Right. Their 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 condemnations are still ringing in my ear. Nothing, huh? Nothing. Nothing. And I raised it with them, and I saw. You know, I've been meeting some of the candidates for secretary general to succeed Ban Ki Moon. And, you know, of course, they all pay lip service to it. And I tell them, you know, for us to speak out, I'm worried that I don't want to cause them damage that they'll say, oh, you see, the Jews are, are, are with them and working with them. And right. But, I mean, I can't, I think that if we mean never again, that we cannot be signed because if it gets accepted, why shouldn't it spread? And it has, because we let them get away with it. So so, so many other groups, the Houthis, the, the Al-Qaeda and others, all are doing beheading now, and it becomes... The major recruitment tool in in uh, bringing uh, these young people to come to to their flag and to fight and to to die for them it, it it's astonishing. Unbelievable. Uh, any uh, idea when the new secretary general takes over, or how does that work? Yes, well, it will be the end of the year, but uh, the election will probably it takes place. The selection process is already underway. There were nine candidates or eleven who have already presented themselves. Uh, and they come from all over. It was supposed to be an East European, and the likelihood a woman, because there's never been a woman uh, secretary general. And I think there's a general agreement with that. Uh, there is there are male candidates uh, or a male candidate, but the um, you know there is as disparate as the former uh, minister, uh, prime minister in uh, New Zealand, and the foreign minister of Argentina, and uh, the two Bulgarians. So there is, uh, and I think the Portuguese uh, foreign minister man, the... Um, we'll know by when. By when will we know who the next secretary general will be? Probably, I think, by the General Assembly in September. Uh, we should know by then what, uh, what the story is. All right, I've got to get to Rabbi Yudin. Have a wonderful Shabbos in Yontif, and we are on schedule to speak again next week. Yeah, next week, God willing, from Jerusalem. Ah. And, uh, we'll, so we'll have a different perspective and uh, see the glorious things that have happened, God willing, this week. Ah, yes. I hope everybody has a meaningful Shavuos and, and um, celebrate with your families. Yes, yes, yes. And pass on to the next generation all of these important things that we discuss. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, Friday, 740 Eastern Time for the weekly update, including a week from today. Um, he'll be back with us from Jerusalem with a weekly update here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week, and in this case, additionally, the holiday of Shavuos. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody, and good Arab Yom Tov. Let's try to go chronologically in order. So, 
Today is Erev Shabbos, and this Shabbos we have the privilege of beginning the fourth book of the Torah, Sefer Apikudim, the book of counting. We count the Jewish people in this week's parasha of Bamidbar. We count the Jewish people at the end of the book, 40 years later, in Parshas Pinchas. In Parshas Bamidbar, According to the Chinuch, there are none of the 613 mitzvos. Interestingly, however, the Shulchan Aruch does tell us Manu Vi'atzru, which means that you are to read Parshas Bamidbar annually before we celebrate the Yom Tov of Shavuos. I'd like to perhaps first... Um, begin with a little bit of <coughs> some of the, if not <coughs> laws of Shavuos, but Minhagim of Shavuos, and then we'll try to come back to the significance of Bamidbar having uh, and being read prior to Shavuos. To begin with, there's no other way of saying it. Shavuos is the most important holiday. Now, wait a second. You're going to argue with me? You can't. We were taken out of Egypt, as the Torah says, to receive the Torah. The whole idea of our counting, Sviras HaOmer, last night we counted 48, and we are getting very close to the finish line. But Hashem says to Moshe, this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you take the people out of Egypt, you shall serve, and our rabbis say, you shall serve in 50 days. The purpose of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim was to receive the Torah. And so, Sad to say, whereas Bali Ayara in the high 80s, there's a percentage of Jews worldwide that sit down to some kind of a Pesach Seder, I wish the number were anywhere near there of Jews who would be observing the Yom Tov of Shavuos. And therefore, it behooves each and every one of us that will be, thank God, observing this very special holiday to try to reach out to our brothers and sisters who are not yet into Shavuos and to try to invite them, try to have them realize what an incredibly important day this is. How important is Shavuos, in case you want to ask? Okay, so let's take a look. If you look at <coughs> chapter 1 of creation, the Torah tells us, Vayerev, Vahivoker, it was evening and day, Yom Echad, Day one, Yom Sheni, day two. Each day is written like that, except for Yom Hashishi, the sixth day, with the Heyayudia, with the the in front of it. And what's the significance of that? So Rashi says, and I cite, quoting from the Tanhuma, 
Hosef hey bashishi, the hey is there, bigmar masiberatius, at the conclusion of the story of creation, lomar, to tell us shehisna imahem, God made a condition with that which he created, almanas shekablu aleim Yisrael chamishachum sheitorah, I am bringing you into existence, on condition of the Jewish people except the Torah. No Torah accepted by the Jewish people. There is no purpose for a world. And Dovracher, Rashi gives you another interpretation, Yom Hashishi, Kulim Tluyim Beomdim. All of nature was literally suspended Ad Yom Hashishi till the sixth day. What's the sixth day? The sixth of Sivan, the day on which the Jewish people would receive the Torah. Now, this is something which is remarkable. We pointed out that in this week's Parsha of Bamidbar, which we read before Shavuos, there are no mitzvos, and interestingly, on Shavuos, there is no biblical mitzvah that is incumbent on the individual. There's no lulav, there's no shofar, there's no matzah. What is there? There's one communal mitzvah, the bringing of the special offering, Karban, of the Shteha Lechem, the two loaves, which took place on Shavuos in the Beis HaMikdash. And so, Rav Hirsch beautifully points out that we started on the second day of Pesach, when we brought the Omer, the measure of barley, and we started counting, and on Shavuos, 50 days later, we bring not barley, <coughs> but two loaves of wheat. And he points out that barley is considered macho behema, food for animals. And wheat is food for man. And therefore there's a kind of graduation which is taking place on Shavuos that we should recognize we're graduating from a state akin to animals, having been amidst the culture of the Egyptians, and now, 50 days later, literally having that greatest moment in world history that God revealed Himself to the entire Jewish nation. No other nation has ever or will ever make the claim that God appeared and revealed himself to the entire nation. Millions of people experienced this revelation at Sinai. The Ramah tells us <coughs> in the one chapter regarding Shavuos, chapter 494 in that there are Minhagim, and it's interesting, I think the reason why there are minhagim is because we're not only accepting upon ourselves on Shavuos the entirety of Torah, but even beyond that, even customs, not only that which is the letter of the law, but even customs and the spirit of the law. And so the Ramah cites several customs. One, to literally um, have greens on Shavuos in the synagogue and in the house. Zecher Lam Simchas Matan Torah. As a reminder to the joy 
and how God literally bedecked the mountain with greenery. As the Torah says, that God warned the people that the animals should not graze on the mountain, thereby showing that there was greenery. I think the greenery there also shows, as the Navi Yeshaya says, Vayosen midborah ke'eden, that with Torah, a midbar, a desert, could literally bloom, as indeed it did at the time of Matan Torah. Second of all, the, um, <coughs> there is the minhag, which the Mishnaburah brings down, of staying awake, the entire night, this coming Saturday night. It's a good opportunity to take a nap this coming Shabbos, please God, tomorrow, and not only because it's always good to take Shena Shabbos Tanug, a little bit of a rest on Shabbos, but here, perhaps even a little bit more, and we're going to spend the entire night, Saturday night, studying. Whether your custom is to say Tikkun Leil Shavuos, a compilation of the written Torah, the oral Torah, summarization of the oral Torah, or to go to your synagogue where there'll be Shi'urim, be it one Shi'ur the entire night, be it different Shi'urim. Uh, the idea is, whether you're learning with a Chavrusa, whether you're learning in a group, spend the night learning. It's very, very special. And the third minhag, which the Ramah speaks about, is that of eating machalei chalav, eating dairy food, on the first day of Shavuos. The, additionally, you should know that on the first day of Shavuos, please God, Sunday, we read the Kriya Torah from Parshas Yisro, we read of the Revelation, the Ten Commandments. The minog is to stand <coughs> for the reading, reliving what the Torah says, Vayisyatsvu, Sahar. They literally stood under the mountain. And, as well, to read the Aseris Adibros, Betam Elyon, which means that the first two Dibros are read as one, and the Psukim are not divided as Psukim, but they're read as Dibros. The Kriya Satora for the second day of um, Shavuos, Monday, is that of Kol HaBechor, coming from the end of Parshas uh, Re'eh. The Minog is to read the book of Rus on the second day of Shavuos, as well as Haskoras Neshamos, we recite Yiskor on the second day of Shavuos. I'd like to just spend a moment or two on Manu Vyatsru, the many, or to give you just a few lessons that might be derived from the... Uh, having the juxtaposition of Bamidbar before Shavuos and especially this year when they come but one day apart. So I'd like to begin with the Gemara in Eruvin, Daf Nun Dalid, Amad Alif, and there we find that Amarav Masna, that which we find in the Torah, in Parshas Chukas, in chapter 21 
Pasuk 18 in Chukas, where the Torah says, Umimidbar Matana, literally from the Midbar to Matana. Now the context over there is talking about the various stops that were made by the Jewish people during their traveling in the desert, but Rabbi Masna understands it to mean the juxtaposition between Midbar, literally the desert, and Matana, a gift, if a person makes himself like a wilderness, which everybody treads upon the desert, or literally shows their humility, then then he will retain his studies, will be given to him like a gift. Torah will be given to him as a gift if he is humble. That's the first lesson that is very important, as well as the idea that Torah is for all. There's no such thing that Torah is for the elite group. No such thing that it's for the Kohanim and Levim. It's for everybody. Every Jew has, as we say in the Shemona Esrei, tomorrow, Sunday, Monday, the Sein Chalkeinu Besora Help us, God, to accomplish our share in Torah. Every Jew has their particular share in Torah. I'd like to point out uh, something very, very interesting, that two very quick lessons found in Parshas Bamidbar that I really think they join together and tell us something about life in the Midbar. We find, interestingly that the first chapter speaks about the counting of the Jewish people and the Torah tells us the names of the um, Nesim, the princes that were there at the counting and the prince of the tribe of Dan is Eliasaf ben Deuel. Okay? In chapter 2 of Bamidbar, where the Torah speaks about the Degolim, the flags, and the separate camps. So there, in speaking about the camp of Reuven, within the camp of Reuven was God, and there we're told that the prince of God was Yosef ben Reuel. The Torah changes it from a Dalid in chapter 1, take note, to a Resh in chapter 2. What might be the reason for that? So, Rev. Zilberstein, in his Sefer, Alinu Shabayach, quotes the Sefer Imre Noam that says very sharp, and that is we can learn a very important lesson from this, that when the tribe of Don was appointed as the head of his machana, the head of his camp. So God could have come and complained and said, wait a second, Moshe, Don was the Bukhor of Bilhah, and he became the head of a camp. I am God, I am the Bechor of Zilpa. I too could have, should have, become the head of my camp. And what do we hear from him? Nothing. 
he was quiet. And as a result of his remaining silent and not complaining, he explains the Sefer Imri Noam, has his name changed from Di'u'el to Ri'u'el. And Ri'u'el is actually a contraction of Re'a, literally a close friend or beloved, Lekeel, to God. God showed his appreciation of his silence, and so too Moshe Rabbeinu and Moshe is buried in the uh, tribe of God. This is one very interesting idea. And secondly, in and regard to the Nisim and the Degolim, the flags, says the Torah that Ish al Diglo, each person in accordance with their Degel, their flag. The idea behind this is a very powerful one, says Rabbi Yerucham in his Das Torah, and that is the importance of Seder, the importance of having order in one's life. And he quotes that halacha as found in the Gemara Erechim, that a Levi and Levim had different functions. Some were singers, Others were keepers of the gates. And if a singer were to go among the gatekeepers to open and close, or a gatekeeper were to go among the singers, so what does the Gemara teach you over there? In Erechin Yud Aleph Omed Beis, he's of Misa. We're not talking about actual capital punishment, but this is a very serious infraction. Infraction. Now what's the infraction? Explains Rabbi Yerucham that he is breaking Seder. A Jew is to live a life of order. And even in the desert, which is the last place you'd expect to find Seder, that's where the Torah says, even there, a Jew is to have his life in Seder. He's to dive and try most every day at the same minion, the same time. He's to have, the Shulchan Aruch says, a very important halacha. And that is in Simon Kuf, Nun Hey, that right after Shacharis, he's to ideally go from the Beis HaKnesses to the Beis HaMedrash, and listen to these words, V'yikba Eis Lilmod, and he should set a time for the study of Torah, and he should do his best that this should be Kavua Shaloyavirenu, a person should not try to deviate from that time, from that Seder, even if he could make a lot of money. What a Ideal, and what we're being taught is such a powerful lesson that each and every one of us is an important part of the big picture. But in order for each and every one of us to be part of this puzzle of Klai Yisrael, our peace has to be in its place. And this is the reward that Yosef ben Di'uel got. He became a Reya to God by knowing his place and accepting his place, so too we should understand as we go into uh, Shavuos how important it is for us to have a set Seder in our life and especially in our observance of Torah and mitzvos, And we are to recognize this powerful idea that with Torah, a desert blooms. With Torah, 
there's order in our lives, there's simcha in our lives, and I pray and wish that each and every one of us will have a meaningful Shavuos, a meaningful personal and communal Kabbalah HaTorah, bringing glory to Klal Yisrael, to their communities, and to themselves. Shabbat Shalom and a good Yom Tov to all. and incredible Andy Statman. And before we close out this week, we've been speaking a lot about uh, Coulter Fest, a lot about the uh, Summer Stage show coming up on Wednesday night. This coming Wednesday night in New York City, Central Park, 72nd Street, and um, Fifth Avenue in New York City. On the Summer Stage in Central Park, an incredible lineup for this... uh, for this coming Wednesday night, gives everyone an opportunity to come out and see Yiddish Soul, uh, which is going to be a uh, an amazing show. It's going to star people like uh, Benny Friedman and Lipa and Zusha and Cantor's Natanel Hirschstick and Joseph Malavani and Yankee Lemmer, the Maccabees, all part of a free concert seven o'clock this coming Wednesday night. So Yuntif ends Monday night after being. Uh, after being fed well and <laughs> and been home for three days, you have an opportunity Wednesday night to break out in a big celebration at uh, the Yiddish Soul Concert in Central Park. Part of Coulterfest NYC this coming uh, week is a Thursday night's show with the great Andy Statman. Andy Statman is going to be at Joe's Pub this coming Thursday night, the night after the Yiddish Soul album, uh, Yiddish Soul uh, Concert. Starting at 9.30 at 425 Lafayette Street in New York City. And the great Andy Statman, who I I am told is going to be spending his shavuos uh, with the uh, Mudgetzer Group in Brooklyn, New York, is with us live via telephone. Andy, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much for having me on. You're amazing. You're incredible. I I <laughs> I I can't think of a better way to get onto a spiritual high on an Erev Yontif than to listen to your incredible selections Frankly, the one we, we started playing was Barchi Nafshi, which uh, you released a few years back on your uh, Andy Statman Quartet between Heaven and Earth CD. I'm, sh- I'm sure you remember that experience, right? Sure. That was, that was the recording. That was a particularly uh, uplifting experience. You know, some of the musicians were crying, actually, during some of the uh, things we recorded. So. Amazing. What's it like What's it like, Hallel at Mudgets? It's... Um, it's it can be pretty uh pretty beautiful i mean very very uplifting very amazing um particularly if we're uh you know have this supposed to have uh ben c and uh lead the davening then and uh it's um you know mudgets has uh such a vast and wonderful catalog of um of uh, nagunam and uh ben c and shank himself has written you know hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of uh, wonderful nagunam so uh it's uh it's it's quite uplifting, particularly everyone knows the melodies and um you know, there it can really uh 
can really put your avoid in a whole other place. Oh, he is incredible, that's for sure. Andy Statman with us, one of the world's foremost mandolin players, clarinet virtuoso. He combines klezmer and bluegrass into a unique experience, and he's at Joe's Pub this coming Thursday night starting at 9.30. That is at 425 Lafayette Street in New York. Now, Andy, uh, frankly, you look like a rabbi. Uh, anybody who's seen your picture knows that at this point. <laughs> What's it like when a rabbinic-looking figure walks into Joe's Pub? What? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know... N- in, in most in most places, people are not really, um, you know, they're, they either know of me or they know me or, you know, um, you know, usually there's no real... Um, no shock, huh? <laughs> no, no, the, the only shock we once had was when um, I did a, did a record maybe, I don't know, six, seven years ago that, that somehow was uh, nominated for a Grammy, so... Um, uh, you know, I didn't really want to go out, but my kids, you know, <laughs> you know, pushed me and my wife to go out there. So I remember when we walked in to get some of the registration uh, things for the Grammy. You know, the Grammy is supposed to be very hip and very contemporary and with it. And they have, you know, they have lots of uh, volunteers there who are, you know, um, you know, very excited, of course, to be there with all, with all their, uh, you know, their heroes, the stars and stuff like that, the right. rap and the pop stars, you know. And, you know, so people are coming in and registering, you know, the different uh, musicians, singers. And, uh, you know, me and my wife walk in. <laughs> so we got the feeling like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to register people who look like this. You know? <laughs> how, how did I get stuck with Andy Statton? Yeah, yeah, right. Who is, you know, who is, you know, what, what is, you know. But they were all very nice and very sweet. But that's, you know, usually the... Pretty much one of the only times I ever experienced something that was sort of uh, comical like that. Usually people are, are really of goodwill and don't, you know, you know, they know what they're getting usually before, and if they, and if they don't, they're not, you know. I can't imagine anybody who knows the music scene, especially in New York City, better than you. I can tell you that much. Well, you know, I, I don't know, but it's, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's great to be here, so. Yeah. You know. What will people see at Joe's Pub? What's on the playlist for that night on Thursday evening? Well, at Joe's Pub, we, um, you know, I have a few new records that will be coming out down the line. So one will be a bunch of, um, you know, music that I've written in the last year or two that that uh, will be performing. And then we're having um, special guests will be coming in on the second half of the show, and a great accordion player named Will Tolshauser. And um, we'll be doing some uh, really sort of very hot old-time uh, klezmer and Hasidic music. All right. So, very cool. Uh, should be a lot of fun. So a couple of big nights in New York. I'm sure you're a big advocate of the Yiddish Soul concert on Wednesday night, right? Yeah, yeah. It's that's going to be amazing. That's a good one amazing. with an amazing lineup, and it's all free and very exciting, and a diverse lineup that somehow just works so well together. So that's, I mean, credit to Zalman Malotek and everybody for that. And then Thursday night, a part of Coulterfest NYC, and everybody can go to the website, coulterfestnyc.com. Uh, people can enjoy, everyone out there can enjoy Andy Statman at Joe's Pub, which is 425 Lafayette Street in New York City. This coming Thursday night, beginning at 9.30. A late start, Andy, so it's perfect. People could leave Joe's Pub after the performance, go straight for the Chollington Kugel at one of the big Thursday night locations, right? I, I understand they'll be serving Chollington Kugel at Joe's. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. But there are plenty of places open where people can go even afterwards. How do you like that? Uh, anyway, I don't want to take anything away from Joe. Uh, anyway, information at CoulterFestNYC.org. Uh, CoulterFestNYC.org. Andy Statman at Joe's Pub this coming Thursday night, 930. I take this opportunity to wish you a uh, a wonderful Yontif. Enjoy it at Mudgets. And uh, continue doing what you're doing. You're, you're amazing, Andy Statman. 
Uh, man, listen, a wonderful once again to you as well, and um, thank you once again for having me on. I really appreciate it. The pleasure. The great Andy Statman at JM in the AM. off of the Andy Statman Quartet album entitled Between Heaven and Earth here at JM in the AM. Want to wish a happy birthday to Michael Bear. Michael is celebrating a milestone birthday today. Happy birthday, Michael Bear, from all of us here at JM in the AM. Candle lighting at 8.06 on this era of Shabbos. Many synagogues begin earlier than that. 8.06 is the uh, official candle lighting time on this era of Shabbos. Uh, we'll go right into Shavuos tomorrow night. Two days of Shavuos outside of Israel. Yisker is set on Monday. And we're back here Tuesday morning at JM in the AM. That'll be the next uh, edition of JM in the AM. If you missed any of our weekly update, don't forget you can check it out in the NSN app. And, of course, on jmtheam.org in the archive section later on at some point today. Reminder, coming up at 9 o'clock, right after JM in the AM, it is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman, featuring Miriam Pascal of OvertimeCook.com and SD Wolby from the Facebook group, I Don't Cook, But I Give Out Recipes. They're both on between 9 and 10 this morning with uh, Naomi, and that video will be up at NachumSingle.com for everybody to enjoy. Erev Shabbos Music Mix, brought to you by our friends at Kedem, will feature great songs for Erev Shabbos and Erev Shavuos, and of course, after that, once candle lighting hits, the next thing you'll hear from us will be Tuesday morning here at JM in the AM.
J.M. and the A.M. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos. Sunshine today with a high of 79, clear tonight, low 58. Tomorrow, some rain for Shabbos, the high temperature of 83. Yerushalayim is at 73. We're at 59 degrees here on a Friday morning era of Shabbos at J.M. and the A.M. The great Andy Statman with Baruch Inafshi on this era of Yom Tov. Time to say good Shabbos and good Yom Tov with Journeys at J.M. and the A.M.
Yisrael and Achim Achim, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsor WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM Dial Broadcasting Live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week for us here at JMNAM. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Nine o'clock has arrived, which means Naomi Nachman is next on jmnam.org and on the NSN app uh, with Table for Two, followed by our Kenan presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix all the way until candlelighting time. And then... We will speak to you next on Tuesday morning after the uh, two-day holiday outside of Israel. That will be Tuesday morning starting at 6 a.m. Have a wonderful Shabbos, a fantastic Yom Tov. Until next week, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.